Lord, we thank you for this lovely morning. We thank you for these people gathered here. We pray that you would uh, give us insight as we open your word and think about the incarnation and uh, what a wonderful miracle it is. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, we are not left sheep without a shepherd, but that your son Jesus had compassion and and in submitting himself to the will of the Father came and, and dwelt amongst us and showed us love and and took our sins on his shoulders so that, Lord, we could have his righteousness. And we are so thankful for, for that. And we, we pray that we would come to understand and appreciate all the more this morning uh, what that means. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week we looked at a whole bunch of heresies about understanding the nature of Christ. Uh, and this week we'll talk about the opposite of a heresy, which is uh, orthodoxy, involving the incarnation. So the question, question 21, is how did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? And the answer is Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary and born of her, yet without sin. That about sums it up, and that is more or less what you find in in the creeds of the church. We're in uh, the part of the catechism that's covering stuff that's common to all streams of Christianity, and uh, so they're, they're rooted in the ecumenical creeds that you would find whatever kind of church you were in, unless you were in some kind of wonky church that subscribed to one of those heresies we were talking about last week. Uh, So let me begin with an old-timey sermon illustration. Sometimes there were more kings than one in Sparta who governed by joint authority. A king was occasionally sent to some neighboring senate in the character of a Spartan ambassador. Did he, when so sent, cease to be king of Sparta because he was also an ambassador? No, he did not divest himself of his regal dignity, but only added to it that of public deputation. So Christ, in becoming man, did not cease to be God. But though he ever was and still continued to be king of the whole creation, he acted as the voluntary servant and messenger of the Father. What do you think of that? I think so, too. I don't remember ever reading that before, but obviously I did because I put it in my notes at some point. Um, yeah, the, the idea that what's happening here, and we talked about this last week, is not a subtraction problem, right? Jesus minus God equals Jesus amongst us, or the Son minus God equals Jesus or something. That, that's falling into uh, a heresy. Rather, it is an addition problem. And it's not a problem. It's the solution to the problem of our sin. Uh, Athanasius said, It was not that being man, he afterwards became God, but being God, he afterwards became man. And that nips in the bud a whole category of uh, false teaching. I don't know that we're going to read all of the proof texts that you have in front of you, but I do know we're going to read a whole bunch of scriptures. So somebody find John 1. This is probably one that you could recite, but John 1, 14. And somebody else uh, flip over to Hebrews 2, and we're going to look at 14 through 16. Anyone got John 1? John 1, 14, and the word 
became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of only of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What do we find out about the incarnation there? Can you read it again? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Like you lost anything. Okay. Has his glory. Right. So yeah, and, and and he set aside a certain level of glory. We find out in Philippians, right? Set aside things that were due him, uh, and subjected himself to contempt, to being a limited being in a cursed and fallen world. Uh, you don't think that uh, God, the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, as they are leading Israel around, are about to say, okay, go ahead and just throw stones at me and spit on me. And No, and yet the divinity remains, and the glory remains, and it says we beheld the glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. So they could still see in him, and John is writing here, John was present for the transfiguration, and so he can say, along with a couple other disciples, very Specifically, we saw the glory that, that this Jesus who walked amongst us wasn't half of or a substitute of or a, 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 what's the word, uh, the blue guys. You know those blue guys? Nah, James Cameron. Avatar 4, the, uh, the, the son who lives in heaven. Rather, it is the son himself who came and dwelt amongst us and was made flesh and full of grace and truth. Uh, how about Hebrews 2, 14 and 16? 2, 14, right? In Hebrews. Yeah. All right. Inasmuch them as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And 16, for indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. What do we see here then? He experienced the same things that we did. Indeed. And he's considered the seed of Abraham. Right. And that, and that comes up from the very beginning of any messianic prophecies and is itself an antidote to a number of these heresies and, and false ways of understanding Jesus that are all still floating around through the transom of the church today. So taking on humanness does not change God. In Christ, man is God and God is man, but you can't say man became God. Okay, this is, this is what you would find in, say, the Mormon church. God, the Father, is a guy like us. In fact, it's kind of one of their uh, slogans uh, privately. As God is, man can become. As man is, God once was. He was like us. He did a really good job. They were like, we're going to promote you to God of your own universe with as many as seven billion people reporting directly to you. And he was like, sounds good. That is not Orthodox Christian teaching. You can, however, say God became man. And when we saw in, in John 1.14, the Word was made flesh, that is basically just 
the, uh, I have an extra, that was basically just the incarnation described. Incarnation. What's carne? Carnes? Flesh, right? Infleshment. Word being made flesh. That's, that's what it is. Uh, and, and so we're talking about God became man and dwelt amongst us. It, it is truly a humbling and a submitting to the will of the Father that he did for us. So what we have is the addition of basically a new avenue of access between God and man, which is perfectly in keeping with all of God's attributes, all of which are his perfections, right? God, anything you can say true about God is not just a characteristic that he has, it's also a perfection that he has. And Christ coming in the flesh does not violate or bristle against any of those. Does anyone want to challenge that? Because I, I could even. <laughs> we start thinking about these things. <coughs> what are some of Christ's or, or God's perfections? Well, if Christ is killed on the cross, then you would say one of God's perfections is his eternity, right? He's always, his existence from time immemorial to time immemorial, and if at some point Christ is killed, then you could say, well, maybe that's an example. The creed says, though, that he, he was crucified and descended into Hades, not ceased to be. Well, you asked for people's arguments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm just... <laughs> And I'm just swatting them down. It's like uh, uh, when, like, on Karate Kid 2, Sato was like, everybody attack me, and then he just beat them all up. <laughs> That's what he wants to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, let me suggest another. What about omnipotence, omnipresence? Jesus says that he doesn't know something, right? Yeah. A couple times, the disciples ask him something. He says he doesn't know. For example? The time and hour of right. the end. You know, he says, I don't know. I don't know that. That's for the Father. But then he also knows people's thoughts still. Yeah. Which means... Did Christ have faith? We just take a big turn. Anyone? Hand in that or... No, I want to I wanna hear, uh, hear someone's answer. I, I want you to, to define what he means by faith. You mean it's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen? Yeah. Did he have to have faith, or did he just know? Oh, I think that he, I think that he did have to have faith because, like, there's, there's part that he knows of what's going to happen to him in the garden, but well, I don't know. A big part of, of, it, of my life is faith, and that's a big part of my humanity, I think. Mm -hmm. And if he's human, but doesn't have faith. Well, if, and if he's if he's human and he's born human in the same way that we are, he didn't know anything at first, right? As a baby, even though he knows everything, like that's the tough part because he would have to learn just as we do to trust God. He grows in a wisdom, wisdom stature. He goes uh -huh. to synagogue. He learns how to read. You know all those different things where he can be in the scriptures, just like we do. And it's a question of like, well, what did what did he know then? You know. Was he always certain or, yeah? I, I would certainly say yes. That, so then is Sean asking, is that faith? Because he already knows for certain 
No, I'm saying uh, to Sean's question, I would certainly answer yes. He modeled faith for us in that he went to the cross trusting that the reward was laid before him. He didn't see it because he had set aside certain benefits uh, of being God the Son in order to walk amongst us as one of us. Now you're talking about subtracting. He set aside. He set aside. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's like this. If, say, for example, you get down on your knees to play with your kids, or you are teaching, say, say I go upstairs and teach the kids instead of teaching you. I'm not going to tell them about Apollinarianism, right? I'm going to limit myself, but I haven't, it hasn't been subtracted from me. So, so there's not been, what we're seeing here is condescension. Not that Christ was, everything was blown out of him that was greater than us, so that all that was left was this kind of husk that walked around with us, but that he came down and dwelt amongst us as one of us and spoke to us in a way that we could see and understand. That, that he modeled for us. Uh, You're back to he didn't have faith because he knew. But he just didn't tell us about it. <laughs> I feel like Sean might be trying to make problems, but I think what you're doing is just highlighting the mystery of it and the tension that's here. Uh, that, that how do you have God in the flesh in the fullness of deity, the exact representation of God for us, and yet he's hungry, he's thirsty, I mean, he's, he's, he's dying. Yeah, Barb. I was thinking about the Garden of Gethsemane when he asked for company to take from him, but then accepts mm-hmm. the gospel. So that's, I think, kind of an illustration of both, maybe. You know? Again, the tension. Because he has to have faith that the Father will, yeah. that everything will but work out. But for a minute there, it was like, you know, is there a way? Do I really have to do this? Yeah. Please. Give me another way. I don't know. I really don't want to do this. You know, there was a minute of that. So is that testing faith? What do you mean testing faith? Testing whether he like really a test of- Oh, oh, okay. I thought you were like using the word testing as a modifier for faith. That confused me. Okay. Well, yeah. And the same. Really do, and the same know? thing with like the wilderness. I mean, yeah, right. he is tempted yeah. not to do things yeah. the right way, just as we are. So he has to have faith that God will provide, even though the devil's saying, here's some bread. Or maybe he didn't have to have faith, he just knew. <laughs> Sean keeps smirking. <laughs> are you a scoffer or something? I don't think there's an answer to this. No. <laughs> these are, the, these are the, the tensions you don't want to try to alleviate entirely, uh, but, but you want to live in. And I think the idea that Christ at any moment could have fallen back on, you know, in the moments where he needed to exercise faith or he was struggling. That he could have, right? When he was on the cross, he could have called. Yeah, I could, have, I could call on 10,000 angels. I don't have to be doing this. I'm doing it by choice. It's not that it's been subtracted from me. It's that I'm willingly setting it aside because this is the will of the Father, and this is the way of redemption. I think maybe the, the tough part is, like, it's easy to understand how he could still be fully God because he's reading people's thoughts and things like that. It's hard to understand how you, he could be fully human when our experience of humanity is through the lens of original sin. And if he didn't have that, you know, there he's tempted in all ways as we are, and he doesn't sin, but... Like it can feel like, well, maybe he doesn't understand because he's not, he's not 
just man. You know, he's also God. So I think that that maybe is the attention that people feel. That it's hard to understand how he could be fully man and not just mess things up all the time because we mess things up. Right. And that, and that is a reminder to us that to be human is not to be, uh, you know, a screw up, a, a fallen sinner, that that's not the original design of humanity. Rather, that's a perversion of that design. So when Christ comes and models for us what it looks like to be truly human, it almost looks like, well, hold on, you're not doing any of the things that humans do. No, he, he's doing everything that humans were designed to do and none of the things that would pervert and distort that design. Sean's still smirking. I, I think of like Steve is, is uh, gallant and Sean is goofus. Especially today, Sean's like sprawled out here. And Steve's in a suit, I don't know, opposite each other in the room. Is that an, does everyone know that or is that like too new for some and too old for others? Highlights Magazine, right? No, nothing. No. <laughs> Do we want to keep on beating on that? I, I wouldn't mind hearing more thoughts on it, but we can move on. I have a question, and maybe you'll, you'll talk about this later, but I want to know what a reasonable soul means. Ah, we'll get that in a second. First, let's talk about a true body. Okay. Those words are a rejection of which heresy? We talked about it last week. I can't week. remember what it's called, but it's where he appears to be man, but he's not. Starts with D? Docetism. Docetism. Looks like he's a human, but he's not. And... So sort of the stuff that, that you, you'd say, well, hold on, is he really God if he's not capable of these things or is not exercising these, these uh, God-like abilities? If he was continually exercising those, then he would just appear to be man, but he wouldn't be. Uh, and so guarding against the heresy on one side, overemphasizing, uh, not overemphasizing the deity, underemphasizing the humanity, or underemphasizing the divinity are both dangerous. Why was it, do you think, that this particular heresy, the idea that that Jesus, yes, is God, but only appears to be man, comes so early and is so persistent in the church? Why this one? Thinking about maybe the background of who is hearing the gospel and, and that sort of thing. Does it have to do with Gnostics? Does it? Yes. Okay. Yes, I'll plant my flag. All right. There were there were Jewish Gnostics and pagan Gnostics and the idea that you couldn't sully God by giving him a body. Right. So the notion that that uh, becoming a human with a human body would be to stain the pureness of the spirit that is God, because there would be a grid like many people who profess to be Christians today also see of spiritual good, physical bad. Uh, that, that the forms of sh- and shadows of the spirit world are pure, but when they're manifest in people or objects, they're less than. And so for God to become physical, have a physical body, a true body, would be for him to become something less than God. And that is just nonsense. Like it assumes something that's not true, which is that God created this world as something already tarnished. Now, in Gnosticism, you have creation by one God, and then you have another God, and the whole thing, it kind of makes sense. If God really did, like in Genesis 1, create the world and say, it's so good, 
and pat himself on the back, which you're allowed to do if you're God, uh, then what's the problem with Christ coming and inhabiting this world? I, I can think of none. It only is a problem if you have these, these faulty presumptions. Especially because we know that God walked with, not like walked with legs, but was with Adam and Eve on earth. Right. He wasn't like Kant suggested way separated up here while Adam and Eve are down here. And he wouldn't come near this place because, ew, I'd need, you know, a bleach and steel wool shower. No, he, he came and dwelt with them. He was, he slayed the animals and gave them the skins. I mean, so, yeah, he's already involved. He, he comes, in a sense, and walks with Abraham for a while and talks with him and sits with him, right? And, and, and we have God's interaction. He's not this far-off only God. He's already close at hand. So when he's born and placed in a manger, this isn't totally unprecedented in every way, only in the sense that he has taken on the true body and the reasonable soul. And uh, somebody already mentioned, uh, Beth, I think, earlier, that uh, the seed of the woman, that language, which we find first in Genesis 3.15, the proto-euangelion, that tells us when whoever this is who's coming to reverse the curse and right the wrong and all this stuff, will truly be the offspring, the descendant of Eve. And so if you are following that line, you've got the line of the serpent and the line of the woman, and you can follow them right through the Old Testament. Uh, That's kind of the grid that we see, especially through those early books, into the New Testament, and Jesus comes on the scene. You have no choice but for him to be truly human and if you are the seed of a woman, you have a, a human body, a true body. Where do we see this kind of heresy today, this idea of, of docetism? Do you bump into it ever? No, never called that, of course, but do you ever see it pop up? Do people ever seem to assume that, that Jesus seemed to be human, but really it was a kind of a hologram situation for our benefit and nothing more? I bet you do. Don't you talk to people sometimes? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Way out there kind of views. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jesus never really said that, even though it's in the Bible. Somebody made it up for him after that. Is usually the kind of people I get. Okay. I feel like you hear it the other way more, that he was just a man. Right, from people outside the church. But, but f- within the church, you know, I, I listen to lots and lots of sermons uh, and... I hear it from the pulpit sometimes that, you know, even unintentionally, I, I've, I've clipped things out of my own sermons going, oh, that sounds like docetism. We, we want to protect Jesus, which is so silly and ironic. <laughs> and, and, you know, there are a number of heresies that come from that instinct of wanting to protect him. We'll talk about one in a minute that's, that's uh, unique to the uh, Roman Catholic Church. Uh, when we look at 1 John 1, John begins his, his epistle, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And so John is very careful to say, here's the eternal God, 
the the one who came amongst us and yeah i i wrestled with him i hugged him i uh passed him the you know whatever falafel and i know i know he is human why would john start his letter that way because he was rebuking and refuting this sort of false teaching it was already coming in. So, so the notion, I think, that the church very, very late adopts the idea that Jesus is God, it, it, it's, it never holds water, but you can refute it just with this, that one of the earliest heresies was overblowing it, where he's only God. And, and it's not that he slowly gets a few more godlike attributes until sometime in the fourth century, somebody, oh, let's say Constantine says, you know what? It would be convenient if Jesus was also God. Um, no, certainly not. We have uh, wonderful textual uh, provenance of, of these epistles and, and John's gospel uh, that, that place it firmly before that, way before that. Uh, you could also look at Luke twenty four thirty nine for a, a similar thing. Uh, so what about the words, a reasonable soul? They are a rejection of which heresy? If you wrote them all down from last week. It was one of the last ones we looked at, if not the last one. Um, is it the thing about the two natures, whether or not they're in conflict? Or? Nope, and I forgot to print out anything about monophysitism, which I said I would do. I will still do it. It would be Apollinarianism. And this is the one that teaches that... Uh, not to write those words down. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that uh, Jesus was essentially a human body with the logos sort of displacing where the soul would be. Oh, right. And, and so it's a true body. We're not saying it just appears to be a body, but that Christ himself has a body. And when you talk to him, you're talking to a guy with a reasonable soul, a, a, a human uh, nature and, and not a animatronic, essentially, uh, made of, of biological material. And, and those are kind of two ditches you can fall into when thinking about Jesus by understating the humanity or understating the divinity of Christ. Uh, I want to read Luke 2.52 to you. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That tells us that he in every way was like us. Uh, and human affections, a human will, a finite intelligence. And you say, hold on, how can that be? Well, how do you grow in wisdom, unless you're not infinite in wisdom. And again, that's setting aside. And Sean is about to say, but isn't that subtraction? And I'm saying the difference is that at any time Christ had access to, just like he had access to the 10,000 angels and the ability to level his enemies, but chose not to. And th think about what that does then for temptation. When Jesus is 40 days in the, the wilderness, and he is fasting, and the devil comes and tempts him, some people would say his divinity makes that less powerful, less of a big deal, because he's God after all. He's not going to sin. It's not real temptation. But if he's God, and the temptation includes he actually can turn the stones into bread, he actually can do any of this stuff, his temptations are far greater than. And still, he continues to say, no, I've set aside 
this stuff because I'm on this path and it ends with a cross and I'm not going to be dissuaded to the left or to the right. And I'm not going to take a shortcut. I'm not going to do anything that would compromise the mission. And, and I think that makes the, the temptation of Jesus far more significant uh, rather than, than far more of a, well, obviously, yeah, he's not going to really sin. It's only temptation in name only. It's temptation because the devil came and said, do this. And Jesus went, no. He was hungry. That's, that's the, it says he was very hungry. After 40 days, you would be. And he certainly had the frailty of human body. But he also had, he had already been baptized. The Holy Spirit had come upon him. He also had at his disposal things that you and I don't, uh, making it a, a very uh, powerful example for us that he could resist temptation. You also, by the way, have the Holy Spirit, and you can resist temptation. No joking. Any thoughts on that? I think... Uh one of the most surprising scriptures to me is when Jesus curses the fig tree. He seems the most human to me. Not man. Fig tree. I wanted a fig. <laughs> that seems that seems like a reaction I might have. It's a bizarre thing because it even says that it's not the time of year for figs. Right. Well, what Jesus is doing is using an object lesson. Like I was going to do with my Palm Pilot with the kids today, but then I forgot it. Anybody have a children's sermon you could come up with? Um, yeah, he sees this fig tree, he curses it, and then he says, you see, it wasn't producing fruit, and so it's been uh, condemned, and, and it's a teaching opportunity. But yeah, I could, I could, I could see you doing that too, Sean. No, I, 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 I could see me doing it too, but probably with far less pure of motives and more uh, fits of rage type situation. Uh, by the power of the Holy Ghost. Does that answer the how question that we have posed here? How did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? That seems like as good an answer as you could get. I think that I would want to know, like, well, that doesn't really answer it, because what does that mean, you know? Like, if you're tr- trying to think of, like, what's the mechanism here? If there's not, re- like, normal, natural stuff going on, what is actually going on, you know, if you have, like, an inquiring mind? You know, I don't feel like that answers that level of, like, what I don't get it, you know? What does it tell you, though? What does it answer? It tells us that all three persons of the Trinity are involved in redemption, right? The Son in submission to the Father comes by the power of the Spirit, and we see all three of them present at the baptism of Christ. Let me read Luke 1, 31 to 35. You will conceive and give birth. This is to Mary, by the way. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The idea that the incarnation is, is by the Holy Ghost, again, flies in the face of, say, Mormonism that says, God the Father with his body of flesh and bone came down and was like, hi, Mary, this is awkward, but... And there was uh, actual... We don't even want to talk about these things, but it's the Holy Spirit. So this is something miraculous. And so from the very 
get-go. This is not going to be something that we parse out easily and say, oh, yeah, that all makes sense. No, it, we're, we're in uncharted territory as far as things that, that we've even seen in Scripture. And we've seen talking donkeys in Scripture. So this, I mean, this is, this is new. Uh, it, God being in our midst is not new. God coming down and interacting with us is not. But God uh, becoming, uh, not only becoming flesh, but actually being born of the Virgin Mary. And that means, contra certain lowercase h heresies, the very material of which he was made was from her, from her body. We talked about Nestorianism last week, and that was where that heresy came from initially, rejecting the idea that the Virgin Mary was the God-bearer. No, 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 no. She gave birth to the humanity of Christ, but she couldn't give birth to God, but she did. That's the miracle. If not for that, then this whole thing has already failed from, from the outset. The Holy Spirit used her substance, though sinful and corrupt. So this reminds us of the Holy Spirit's first act in Genesis. He's making order and perfection out of chaos, right? And he is making a perfect human out of a sinful woman. That should give us great hope for what he can do with you and I. Somebody flip over to Galatians 4. No one's doing it. I'll do it. Galatians. Well, I'm already there. Anybody else have it? Read for us uh, verses 4 and 5, if you would. For when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption of sons. Born of a woman. The idea that being truly born of a woman would necessarily taint Jesus led to a doctrine within the Catholic Church called the Immaculate Conception. And a lot of people misunderstand what that is. They think the Immaculate Conception is Jesus being born miraculously. It's not. And the Immaculate Collection is a best of album that Madonna put out in the late 90s. But the Immaculate Conception of Mary is the idea that she was born without sin. So that you kind of protect Jesus again. Anytime we're trying to do that, we're probably barking up the wrong tree. We protect him by another layer of sinlessness. Because otherwise, he's got to be carried around for nine months and formed from sinful stuff. I don't know how Mary can be born sinless without Saint Anne being immaculately conceived. And you have a problem of infinite regress at that point. But they just, you know, we're kind of in. I, I think that certainly, I know that has led to uh, unhealthy and, and really sometimes blasphemous elevation of the Virgin Mary to, you know, co-redemptrix and, and co-mediatrix, at least, official doctrines says co-mediatrix, um, that, that Mary, because she's now also of this special class of people born sans sin, can, can stand between God and man, or at least between us and Jesus, and then Jesus between us and the Father. So naturally, you go to mom first, and then mom you know, brings the thing to dad. And in this case, I don't know, dad brings it to grandpa, whatever we're doing. Um, it's the whole thing is off base, but it comes from uh, a, a discomfort with the idea 
that Jesus is born of a woman who totally sinned. I think we might even see her sinning in the scriptures. Do you think so? And if so, where? Well, she clearly pushes Jesus to do um, something at Cana that he says it's not the right time. She was probably just thinking, honor your mother. But that was the way I was thinking of as well. At any rate, if she hadn't sinned, then it's not mentioned in Scripture. There's no, there's no Orthodox Christian explanation for it. And her father, being a human, born under the curse of sin, would have passed on the, the sin nature. She'd be born with original sin. Well, and there's, there's, no, there's no way any woman who has ever had a kid has not sinned. You get so angry. <laughs> I had never thought of that. Really? I mean, even if it's, even if they, okay, so Jesus did have brothers, but even if as the Catholics believe, they're not really his brothers. She would still get frustrated and, and impatient. With who? Baby's With, a baby. Even if yeah, but Jesus like, is perfect. And when yeah, you say, cry. when you say no woman, well, no, no crying he makes. It's in the song. <laughs> when, when you say anyone who ever had children has sinned because you're talking about a reaction in the flesh to intense pain. Remember when the Nativity movie that we watched a couple of Christmases ago came out, there was a big Roman Catholic backlash against it because it showed her grunting and, and making pain noises yeah. as she's giving birth because the doctrine is that just like Jesus passed through the doors of the upper room to come in, he passed through the doors of her womb to come out, and she was just like, oh, well, that was easy. But that's not even what I'm talking about. Okay. About raising a kid. Oh, okay. You're talking about that that having a kid around. Eh, I don't know. I, I gotta imagine Jesus was pretty good kid. Well, yeah, but he was still a baby who cried and needed things. Mm-hmm. And they go back and leave their their family and in the, in the group that safety of that group to go back and find him because he wasn't with them. Yeah. Oh yeah. That. Swearing under your breath on the way back for sure. Yeah. Worried, but also like. I, 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 I God, let me find him so I can kill him. Yeah, and probably, you know, there was, I'm sure that between her and Joseph, they weren't, like, not kind of blaming the other person. Like, weren't you supposed to be watching him, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, we, all, we all, all have sinned yeah. and fall short of the glory of God. Why isn't it a problem? That, I think sin, that, she, sinned. that she sinned. There's that, but why isn't it a problem in him being born of a woman, this woman, who is a because sinner? Because original sin comes through the Father. Right, so we read in a previous question that it comes through everyone born of ordinary generation. Remember that phrase? This Jesus is not born of ordinary generation. His Father, there is no sin in him. It, it's absurd to think there could be. It doesn't even make sense. It's category confusion because he is the author of all righteousness, and uh, he is incapable of sin, being God himself. And so when Jesus is born with a human mother and the divine father, that, I don't want to say loophole, but sort of alleviates the problem there. It doesn't alleviate the tension, certainly, by a long shot, but it removes the idea that, hold on, if everyone is sinful, then Jesus must be born with a sin nature. Uh, when we read John eight twenty three, it says, He continued, this is Jesus, uh, You are from below, I am from above. 
You are of this world. I am not of this world. He presents himself as being in a different category uh, uh, from the people around him, uh, even though he became one of us. Why does it matter that Christ did not take off humanity at the ascension? That it wasn't just a, all right, I'm going to wear this for the next 33, and then I'm going to be like, oh, it feels good to take that off. Or did he? before the ascension like uh, upon arriving back in heaven what would he do with the body <laughs> logistical questions you know, like, <laughs> put it in a museum and, and when you get he, the, if he's not just like a god soul in a human body he can't just leave it right it's all one person right so being, we read in the two categories a true body and a reasonable soul but to understand the nature of a human, we're not. That's the Gnostic idea, that we are a soul that has a, a body on. You, you don't have a body, nor do you have a soul. You are a soul, and that, that is the self. Spirit, body. And in fact, when Paul talks about being away from the body and present with the Lord, read around that. He's like, I don't want this. I don't want to be naked, but I prefer it if I can be with Jesus. And I know it's temporary. I will be reunified with my body at the resurrection. Right, like our bodies wouldn't be raised if Jesus didn't keep his body, right? So yeah, certainly our the first fruits of him born among the dead is tied to, to our hope of yeah, why, resurrection. Why be resurrected if a few days later, 40 days later, however long he stayed, you were just gonna get rid of it. And why does it matter that his he's bodily resurrected if ultimately the goal is like people assume often, I think, for themselves, even professing Christians, the goal is to become a, a ghost sitting on a cloud strumming a harp. No, the goal is to be, again, body, spirit, a soul, a reasonable soul, working, living in the new earth. And you'll be able to high-five or hug or fall at the feet of Jesus probably... Uh, hey, maybe all of them. Um, Hebrews 7.25, we read in this passage earlier, or at least re referenced it last week, uh, about Melchizedek. And it says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. So Christ's work on your behalf did not end when he said, It is finished. He was talking about the payment. That was, I mean, to telestai in the Greek, that's code for paid in full. We, a lot of the little pieces of Koine Greek we found are receipts. In fact, a lot of, uh, all of the writing we find are receipts. And in the Greek, they say to telestai. This one's taken care of. Jesus was saying, this is, this is done. My mission to come and, and pay for the sins. But he still sits at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. So how can he intercede if he is not the bridge between God and man, being fully God and fully man. That was the whole point of his coming and taking on uh, a, a human nature and body. Somebody flip over to 1 Timothy 3.16. Oh, I see. That's just part of it. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, 
vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up from glory. Now this is probably either an early confession of faith or an early Christian hymn or, or both. Uh, kind of confessional statement set to music. Uh, and you can tell by the phrasing and in your translation is probably offset like it's, like it's poetry. It begins with, he appeared in the flesh and it ends with, he was taken up into glory, carried into glory. He, was, he the God-man, is carried up into glory. We don't have time to list a bunch of stuff. I'm tempted to leave it here for the moment and we can continue this discussion. I think this is a super fun thing to speculate about. We, we don't have cut and dry answers on this stuff, but that's the beauty of it. It makes you just stand in awe and wonder and say, wow, God, you went to great lengths to save me. And I mean, if this was not God himself, a uh, perfect being, this could be the setting for a really funny, like, hijinks movie. Like, all the things that go wrong and ripple effects of uh, <laughs> cosmic being becoming human. But God's plans never fail. And uh, this one was from before the foundation of the earth, for him to come and save you and me. And so it's, it was destined to uh, succeed from the very beginning, and certainly it did. And now you will still be able... I mean, think about this. The only thing related to the fall that will continue into the new earth will be the scars on Jesus' hands, feet, side. That those will be there to remind us what he did so that, you know, after a few million years, we don't sort of forget and take him for granted. There's always going to be uh, this reminder of what he endured for us. And that doesn't start at the cross. It starts in the manger. It's, or it starts... Perhaps we might say it starts at the, the Immaculate Conception. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, no, no, let's not go Roman Catholic. It starts at the Miraculous Conception of, of Jesus as the, good catch. But you don't want to put that on the internet. Oh, Aaron, you know what? It was a test. You passed, you caught me. You know what you get? F plus. F plus. All right, let's go Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we don't get all this stuff perfectly but that you do. And Lord, we, we may in our arrogance think that when we get to heaven and, and get to see you and, and uh, see things more clearly and see you face to face, that after a, a few months or a few years, we'll have this all sorted out. But Lord, we're thankful that we will never exhaust what there is to know about you. We will never fully comprehend uh, your infinity and perfection. And we are not just fine with it, we are excited to, to continually, forever, uh, learn more about your majesty and, and your mercy and your love and, and, and what went into your coming to redeem us. And Lord, we are so thankful for uh, these things that are above our pay grade. We're thankful that your thoughts and ways are higher than our thoughts and our ways. And we are uh, beyond grateful that you were willing uh, to take on uh, a true body, a reasonable soul, to come to a sin-cursed world and walk amongst us, true God and true man, and setting aside your glory to die on a cross, to become obedient to death, even the most ignominious and, and humiliating death that we could devise, so that we could be saved. 
Lord, we pray that you would keep our minds focused on that great miracle as we move into our morning worship service, and that, Lord, we would be focused solely on glorifying you, and we pray that you would edify us and and help us to become more like your son, Jesus, uh, by the time we leave this place. In your holy name we pray. Amen.